we want to start a business in Thailand. Well, they laughed. Um, <laughs> they're like, right, that's exactly what we need. Another guy with a beer bar. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now on to today's episode. Today, listeners, we are welcoming Mr. Bangkok, Karsten Eichholz, to the show. Karsten has been living in Bangkok for 11 years and runs an authority site about the country of Thailand. This serial entrepreneur is the founder of two companies that create and operate their own web applications. He is also the founder of Brood in Bangkok podcast and has been an entrepreneur for over a decade specializing in affiliate marketing, monetization, and conversion optimization. Today we're going to talk about how Karsten got a start as a gamer back in the 90s. We will dig into his long-term business partnership, the importance of defining your own freedom, and life as an entrepreneur in Bangkok. And with that, let's welcome Karsten I. Schultz to the podcast. How are you doing, Karsten? Yay! I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Also, thank you for pronouncing my name perfectly. Is How do you actually say that? I. Schultz or I. Colts or I. Bolts or... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much spot on. Actually, the whole thing. Um, well, if I walk into a German office to pick up my unemployment check, they will call me Herr Eichholz. <laughs> What's hail, sir, mister? Well, I wouldn't say hail. Um, <laughs> we kind of stopped that. We stopped that a while ago. Um, Herr, which is mister, yes. Hail. Is that right? Hail. Well, that's how we get people to stop picking up their unemployment <laughs> checks, yeah. Uh, how great. Okay, so Karsten is Mr. Bangkok. I call him Mr. Bangkok. He doesn't call himself Mr. Bangkok, but... He is Mr. Bangkok, running one of the authority sites in Thailand and being a digital entrepreneur for about 11 years now, starting off in the gaming industry. So why don't you tell us, Karsten, how you got your start and how you ended up to where you are today? Well, I got my start in the way that actually no one wants to hear, uh, especially not parents. Uh, it wasn't porn, was playing, it? Honestly, actually, here's a little... <laughs> <laughs> no. Seriously, when I was 16 years old, I had the idea of starting a porn website. Oh um, <laughs> it didn't go anywhere. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, so, so with that career out of the window, um, <laughs> I actually got into playing video games. I was playing a lot of video games. So mm-hmm. I think I calculated it later on. It was about an average six hours a day. Wow. So that was this back in, so give us a time frame so we know what type of video games you were playing. Like Nintendo okay, days so this, or, or Super Nintendo. No, this days. was like uh ninety ninety nine. Okay. So we're talking online role playing games. EverQuest was the big thing back then, or as people used to call it, Evercrack for obvious reasons. Gotcha. Okay. You know, when I now tell people about this origin story, you know, like sometimes there is a gamer in the audience and they're like yeah, six hours a day. <laughs> How casual. <laughs> That's lame. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So um, everybody else is like, wow, that's a bit much. And in the gaming industry itself, that's like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, got to commit, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's how I got started. I just played a lot of video games. And uh, one day while I was playing these video games, I mean, these are the virtual worlds. So you kind of walk around with elves and dwarves and 
wizards and swords. And I was sitting in this virtual world in front of a virtual campfire, and someone was telling me they had just sold some of their video game money for real money. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, how does that work? He's like, well, I just went on eBay and sold a thousand platinum for 50 US dollars. Mm. I'm like, ooh. And I checked my own in-game bank account. They have that, right? <laughs> so in the game, you can actually check your bank account. <laughs> and uh, it turns out I had a few hundred dollars in it. I'm like, that's so cool. And I was 17 years old at the time. And uh, so for a 17-year-old, that was pretty substantial. That's a lot of money, yeah. Well, if you probably calculated per hour invested, it was not anywhere <laughs> close to minimum wage. But, you know, it was a part to get started. And... Um, yeah, that kind of gave me the idea to start not just playing this game for fun, but to play this game to pay my phone bill. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> because back then, Germany wasn't dialed up, and I had like a phone bill of two, $300 a month. And it started clicking in your head that, oh, wow, if I play 12 hours a day instead of just six hours a day, I could make a few hundred more. Pretty much. I mean, honestly, it works like the real world where you just over time, figure out what are the most efficient ways to spend your time. So I became kind of a bit of a virtual entrepreneur in that I found out how to make money inside the game that I then could sell on eBay and other places. And that's how I got started. And for a long time, that's all I did. I really just played the game to pay for playing the game. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and I think it went on like that for a long time before I got the idea or I didn't really get the idea. I mostly just saw someone else do it and then I copied it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what you call having an idea. Um, <laughs> so, so there was this guy who was starting to tell people how to play the game. So and uh, so that was a basically a few years before Tim Ferriss wrote his famous book about how you don't do any work by just drop shipping. Right. And um, yes, so basically the idea was instead of playing the game and charging for your time, you tell other people how to do it and then charge them for the know-how. Mm. Wow. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how I got into it. Um, I later on told someone that story and he's like, so you basically copied the whole make money online idea to video games yeah and uh, in a way yeah i mean um i told people how to play video games and um that's how i really got where kind of things took a turn to the entrepreneurial so and um, so how how were you teaching these people were you i mean at what age were you still 17 18 19 or and then how were you actually teaching them to play so this was uh, around, uh, must have been 20 years old at the time. Okay. And um, basically, I wrote an ebook on how to play a single class inside that game, mm-hmm. The Wizard, by the way. So um, I wrote 90 pages on how to play Wizards in EverQuest. Um, and people bought it. Wow. Uh, what did you yeah. sell it for? How much? Uh, $30. I think was it thirty? Yeah, for either twenty four ninety nine or twenty nine ninety nine. I think it started with twenty four ninety nine. Okay. And and how did you feel when you you made your first sell? Oh, it was amazing. Well, a bit um, <laughs> to be honest, a bit shocked because uh, what happened was I figured, well, I gotta do this, but I also 
kind of don't like writing, so mm -hmm. I have to force myself to do it. So back then, what you could do is you could, um, there was no buy now feature. So, but what you could do is you could do a fixed price auction and then have it run for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, you basically send out everybody their um, copy. Mm. So that's what I did. I, I set up a 10 day fixed price auction for, I think, 10 copies and figured I would have 10 days to actually write the thing. Very smart. Uh, yeah, except after two days, people were sending me emails. Where is my guide? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no one wanted to wait for 10 days. I'm like, well, <laughs> okay, <laughs> now I'm creamed. So uh, I basically pulled an all-nighter for two, three nights in a row over a weekend and just uh, hacked the whole thing together. I think it was something like 20 or 30,000 words that I uh, threw together in a weekend just to get that thing out because people were getting angry. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's how I got started. And later on, I mean, what happened there was I just figured, okay, this would be a nice, you know, way to kind of cover my expenses, and you know, it's a saw it as a hobby really, rather than anything else. But then one day, a friend of mine was asking me if I could help him sell a guide for a new game that he had just um, started playing. I'm like, well. Sure, why not? Well, you know, you do the content, I'll do the marketing, and we'll split it. And we did. And I think we sold something like $9,000 worth of ebooks in the first month. Wow. And this yeah. was 22? Uh, I, I think something around that, uh, 2002 or so. Okay. Were you still playing games six hours a day at that time? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean,. But what was really fascinating to me at that point was that I always considered it a hobby and I figured, well, there's no, you know, I would go into corporate. I had a pretty good gig as a management trainee and never took this whole side thing serious. And that was then when I realized, oh, wait a second, this could actually be an actual business. I mean, we didn't sell that much, you know, after that or so, but it was just this initial sales spike because no one else had done anything like that at the point. The game was new and a lot of things came together. But it kind of showed what was possible. Mm. And um, that gave me the idea to um, look into doing this full-time. And um, mm -hmm. this, At this point, you're still back home in Germany, correct? I'm still back home in Germany. I'm in a management trainee program. I'm in the process of finishing my uh, uh, bachelor's degree in uh, business administration. Okay. So um, I approached a friend of mine who was in the same trainee program and talked to him about uh, starting your own company. So my reasoning at the time was, okay, we have, um, I have an understanding of how this works, but if I do it alone, I'll probably get lost in the details or I'll just, you know, procrastinate or just otherwise, you know, I just had kind of strategic concerns about the long-term prospects of starting my own company if I were to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. So I found a co-founder and um, we both decided to, well, go uh, set out on our own after we finished our uh, degree, which was a few months later. And we got, um, yeah, I mean, the day we finished our degree, we said, okay, let's get unemployed. <laughs> We're now entrepreneurs. No, we, were, we literally were actually unemployed. Um, yeah. What happened is like the, the German government had a, 
had a scholarship for entrepreneurs. There's like a stipend that they were paying out to people who started their own new business. However, that was only available to people who were unemployed. Mm-hmm. So in order to get the stipend, we actually had to become unemployed first. So that's what we did. We uh, applied for unemployment benefits and then uh, did basically all the back office work to prepare everything. And we were ready to kick the thing off. We uh, officially started the company. Wow. And so at this age, 23-ish? 22. 22. Okay. And so you start the company. You're working with your friend slash business partner. And then what happens? Well, working and living, actually. Um, Were you we just actually, working out of your apartment? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, he said, let's do that. Let's, I mean, pity we didn't get a house and a garage because that would make for so much of a better story. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, you might have started something much. cool like YouTube or Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, what kind of suckers were we for, you know, doing it in our living room, you know? Silly man, silly man. Yeah, well, you know, the things you learn later on, you know, now, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So, um, yeah, we kind of rented an apartment and uh, ran this thing out of our living room. And uh, we were were actually living together, working together um, for actually the first five years of the entire company. Oh, wow. So even we, we actually, you know, um, about two years in, we moved the business to Thailand. And then we got a place here. We, I mean, we actually got an office, but we still live together in the same apartment, uh, which, by the way, actually is easier than you think it is because if you run a business together, you really don't have time to worry about who does the dishes or who cleans up what. It makes living together a lot easier because you have bigger fish to fry than, you know, the usual domestic disputes i have actually two friends that run their startup slash business and live together quite often and they did the same thing and they've done it for an extended extended period of time but their house is consistently a disaster was yours like that in germany yes i mean they were like what do you call it the 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 dust mouses or so you know (laughs) um dust bunnies dust bunnies yeah, I have no idea, but there, <laughs> there was an animal farm of that. Okay. So our place was a complete mess. Like, you know, I mean, it was exactly what you imagined it would look like. And um, it didn't bother anybody, at least none of the people who were actually living there. And it's all the, the beauty, of course, yeah, the beauty of moving to Thailand, of course, you know, once you're in the, uh, well, it's not the land of milk and honey. It's more like the land of... Uh, I don't know, soy sauce and chilies. So um, <laughs> you actually have a mate who cleans your place. So our, the presentability of our home increased astronomically. Mm. Um, one of the nice side effects of moving to Thailand. Um, so I can recommend it. <laughs> You're no longer partners with your original business partner, correct? Or are, you, are you guys still working together? Uh, we're still friends, but we're no longer working together. So okay. everybody, I've heard once that um, a very high percentage of founder teams are no longer together after the first three years. Mm. And I always thought, okay, that's that's really, that's quick. I mean, what happens in three years that someone just wants to go in a completely different direction? 
And in our case, it wasn't three years. It was actually six years. Mm. At one point, my business partner said he likes the life of an entrepreneur. He likes the financial side of it. He likes, especially likes the freedom of it. But it's not a career that offers him any kind of fulfillment. Interesting. For him, this was because, I mean, as an entrepreneur, you kind of look at where you have you have the freedom and you uh, if things go well, it's financially very um, rewarding. Mm -hmm. However, for him, we were still just doing game stuff. And what he wanted to do is work on bigger problems, more impactful. While we both like life as an entrepreneur, he was more interested in the freedom. And for me, it was maybe more about the financial side of things. And um, for him, freedom meant to do what he truly wants to do. And that meant to work on big problems, to work on relevant problems and to do things that are in line with his personal values. And as he put it, sometimes as an entrepreneur, you have to be an asshole. Right. And um, he didn't want to be an asshole. Hmm. And instead, he decided to become an academic. So he, uh, we talked about me buying him out, um, the whole process and negotiating and Basically, from the first conversation until everything was set in stone, it took about a year. And he went back to Germany to study geography and is now working on his PhD in geography, about to become probably a professor in the very near future. And he's very happy with that. It's a very, kind of, it's a very different kind of freedom. I mean, lots of people think about entrepreneurship as freedom right. and as fulfilling, though it really depends on what you're looking for. There's definitely trade-offs. That's a good point. That's a really good point because I know a lot of us see entrepreneurship as almost the ultimate freedom or a mechanism or a tool to get to ultimate freedom. And that's not necessarily true for a lot of people, right? So your business partner, he had a different definition for that. A hippie a backpacker <laughs> might have a different definition for that too. A yogi might have a different definition for that too. So it's an interesting concept. I think one of the really important things to notice is also when you start your own company, especially when we're talking about um, uh, a business that is maybe different from your day job, you have to, you will be dealing with different people and different resources. You maybe go from being part of a big corporate network where everybody gets leadership training and there is seminars on good management and there are um, corporate scale uh, software tools to use to go into a small business environment where you have to do with a very different kind of people and I think what a lot of people might not be aware of when they start their own company is that they will be in a different environment in terms of people in terms of processes, in terms of business partners, in terms of know-how. And for many people, it will be a way of a downgrade because you come out of a corporate environment where you have corporate tools, corporate trainings, a lot of very professionally done things. And suddenly you're a bit back to square one because you 
will not be working with the same level of lawyers and accountants and software and other tools mm -hmm. that you might be used to. So I think one of the really first things I noticed when I started out um, and when yeah my business partner and I really got started was that suddenly the people we had to do with were very different, were much less business savvy, had much less of a uh, background in business and other professional topics. So I kind of missed a bit the um, environment I was in earlier in a corporate job. Mm. Do you still miss it? I think I kind of, once you start building things up a bit and you build up your own entrepreneurial network and you find good stuff and you kind of build your own environment according to what your personal likes and desires are and that gets to a point where you no longer really miss your old environment. It depends. Maybe you didn't like it in the first place and then this is very liberating. I did like being in corporate. I thought it was great. I didn't start because I detested the 9 to 5. I loved the 9 to 5. Mm -hmm. I just loved doing my own thing more. So... Um, yeah, I don't think I miss it anymore. I've made different connections that uh, work differently and uh, that leverage different things. And uh, right now, I'm very happy with that environment. So why Bangkok? The first place we considered when we looked outside of Germany for a company location was actually Turkey. Turkey has this amazing trade zones where everything is tax-free. No one pays any taxes on anything. Your employees don't pay taxes. You don't pay taxes. Really? No taxes. Yeah. The only problem is they're like in the middle of the desert, 70 kilometers away from any inhabitable <laughs> places. So um, we kind of decided that was not really worth it. And how we actually came to look at Thailand was because my business partner had some had done an internship in Thailand and had some connections. So we figured, well, maybe this is worthwhile looking into. So we literally called up the Thai embassy in Germany and said, hey, we want to start a business in Thailand. Well, they laughed. Um, <laughs> they're like, right, that's exactly what we need. Another guy with a beer bar. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> But they did say, okay, you guys should be talking to the Board of Investment, the department of the Thai government that handles foreign investors and provides information. And we did. And once we explained our business to them, they got really curious. And we figured, okay, there's actually a way of doing this. So it was a bit of a mm, mix of coincidences and research that just led us to land in this place. And... In the end, it was really the realization that it's a place that's not just good for business, which was definitely a primary decision-making factor, but also that offers good quality of life. So we were really looking for a good business location where we also enjoyed living rather than just say, okay, we want to have freedom and drink coconut milk. And you're still living in Bangkok and I'm assuming you still love it, correct? Still living in Bangkok and um, still like it. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were phases where I'm like, okay, this is not really going to be a lasting thing because certain things just get more frustrating over time. Mm -hmm. 
I did kind of try out other places in the States, in Germany, and looked around a bit and found that I didn't really find those as, tra as attractive as Bangkok. So Bangkok really still offers a lot from my perspective. And now, of course, that I'm more involved in the local scene, not just using it as a production base, there are a lot more incentives to uh, that tie me to Thailand. What does it offer that really appeals to you, Karsten? As a private individual, I'd say convenience. Okay. Um, if you're hungry at 2 a.m., you'll find a place that sells something that tastes really good. And if you don't have time to do your own laundry, you'll find someone that does it for you. Basically, everything is made very easy here. All it, infrastructure is available and a lot of different services available. Everything is very safe. It's very convenient to handle life here. As an entrepreneur, I think it's really the combination of uh, available markets and infrastructure from staff to um, internet to just everything, the base supply of that you need to create a company is all readily available. But it's also made available at a very affordable rate. So rents in Bangkok have increased, but they're still very competitive. Salaries have gone up, but again, in many areas, still very competitive. So it's just an overall package where you can say, okay, if you pick one location in the world where you have everything, Thailand offers a good package. I mean, if you look at, you know, maybe you can incorporate in Singapore and you um, live in the US and you spend time in Costa Rica and, you know, I mean, there's ways you can do things differently. But I think if you're really looking at it from, if you want to have one base, one home base where you do everything from your taxation to your incorporation to your friends and Thailand is really just a very good overall package. So how long were you there before you started creating your authority site where people could come to and learn about Bangkok? 10 years. Yeah, that's the website thailandstarterkit.com. Okay. So it actually started out by me not playing as much games anymore. Um, what? Wait a minute. And you I don't kind play of, six hours a day anymore? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't know, somehow, somehow surprisingly that got decreased. When did somewhere you? Between the age of, <laughs> yeah. Somewhere between being a teenager and turning 35 last week, <laughs> I must have <laughs> kind of left the demographic a bit. Um, I think it's a, a factor of things coming together. I mean, I always enjoy the business aspect of it, but there's also the thing that sometimes markets move on. So you might be very established in one market and you keep innovating with it and you keep pace with it, but at some point your heart isn't in it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then you can decide, okay, do you let it run as it is? Do you keep reinventing and reinvesting or do you move on to something else? And I knew that I wanted to move on to something else, but I hadn't yet decided what that would be. So I created the list. I had a spreadsheet files with all the business ideas I had over the years. It was something like a hundred different ideas. And I just, you know, removed the 50 worst ones and, you know, evaluated the next round a bit more in depth and again, removed half of that, pitched those to friends, talked over that, talked over what they thought about my ideas, talked talked about what they thought about me, saw whether there was a matching of skills and know-how and whittled that down and then 
created the ranking of the top 10 ideas and decided what I would be really committed to and went through this whole vetting process. And at the very end, there were exactly zero ideas left. <laughs> so, <laughs> so literally, like I, after looking at all the ideas I had, I decided I didn't like any of them. <laughs> and I figured, okay, well, <laughs> that doesn't help me. So what do I do? What do I do? I have a bunch of ideas, none that I feel really committed to. Maybe I can start a few test balloons. So I started a blog. And because I didn't know what I would be writing about, I picked something that everything had in common, which is myself. So I registered kasteneichholz.com. Mm -hmm. It's like one of those names you just say on the telephone once and everybody remembers it. Um, <laughs> I think people just took to Googling red-bearded German guy Thailand to find the website. Yeah. So, um, and that works, actually. Um, so, uh, when, I, when I just started blogging about all the topics that I felt passionate about, by which I mean topics I wanted to lecture other people about, and uh, that surprisingly didn't immediately take off. Surprising. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the things. When you start writing, usually you have something that you really want everybody to know. So it's, you know, it's a bit lectury. I wrote about games. I wrote about business. I wrote about philosophy, about motivation, self-discipline, and a few topics got some interest. However, when it, it really took off when I wrote this completely OCD-ish blog post about living in Thailand. So what I did is I used an app to write down all my expenses, like every coffee I bought, every beer I bought, every rice I ate, every insurance payment, everything for six months. Mm -hmm. And um, I then created the complete cost of living overview that was super accurate, super detailed, and just turned an entire spreadsheet into a blog post explaining what I spent money on. So that included everything from Christmas gifts I bought for my family back home to Spotify subscriptions, just all the small stuff and unusual things and once a year expenses that a lot of these uh, overviews often don't list. And this showed, okay, this is how much it really costs if you live here. And it was a lot more than people usually assumed. I think it came out to 74,000 baht, which is about $2,000. Okay. And um, so what happened is that people saw this post and started sharing it. And it got a lot of traction in social. And it started ranking Google as well. And it was really the first big traffic blog post I ever wrote. What's, the name, of, idea. what's the name of that post, Karsten? Yeah, it's no, it's cost of living in Thailand, how I spend 74,000 baht every month. Okay. And um, it's just a very assiduous uh, listing of my living expenses. And I found out that people really like this idea of basically turning a spreadsheet into a blog post and just backing everything up with data. And especially for a very pragmatic issue like moving to a new country. So I kind of did that more and more and published more topics about Thailand, very numbers-based, um, very research-based, very just the pragmatic realities of moving here, living here, finding a job, starting a company, 
I published how much I paid my employees, how much I spent on accounting, on lawyers, and just all the details. And that was very well received. And at that point, I kind of decided, okay, there is actually enough traction for that. Let's put that in its own website. So I took all the Thailand blog posts from my personal domain, kasteneichholz.com, <laughs> and moved it to a slightly more memorable name. And um, that's kind of where the Thailand website started. And I noticed that it really not just uh, got traffic, but it got traffic for very competitive terms that people would usually uh, consider very difficult to rank for, you know, like credit card related terms and banking and money terms and uh, without actually, you know, trying to do specific SEO for that. So, I mean, obviously I knew how to write content online and how to set up a page to make it a bit more optimized, but I didn't buy links or do anything else that people would usually consider necessary in those very competitive niches. So it kind of just developed as a passion project and the desire to really pass on some knowledge into a website that started to develop commercial value because it was just really became a go-to resource for anybody moving to Thailand because it kind of does figure out all the difficult stuff you're trying to, you know, research when you move somewhere else. I'm kind of looking through your website now and checking it out and you really do have everything to do and everything you one could think about living in Bangkok here. How often are you posting? Are you still continually posting on this or are you just letting it ride? No, we're definitely working on new content. I think what changed is that I've started bringing on contributors, so people who, uh, other people other than me who write content for the website. In part, that's a bit the entrepreneur in me thinking about, okay, what is a way to scale this? Because I write blog posts usually that are somewhere in between 5,000 and 10,000 words. Mm -hmm. And... Um, if I'm super efficient about it, I do it in a week. Uh, usually two weeks is more realistic. So that kind of puts a limit on the amount of content I can put out. Mm -hmm. And there are topics I don't really have any first-hand knowledge, like giving birth. And, um, <laughs> yet, I, not yet anyway. Not yet. No, I'm still, you know, but, you know, medicine is making a lot of progress, so who knows. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I kind of work with collaborators who kind of have first-hand knowledge of some topics that I haven't experienced first-hand myself, where I feel, okay, that's a really good way to go about it, just to provide the best possible content. And it's a bit of a trade-off, because, obviously, as someone who has lived here for a long time, you tend to have very strong opinions, and especially if you're very analytical, so you kind of accept that if someone else writes about a topic, they might not share all the same views and all the same ideas of what details are important as you do. So, um, but yeah, it's kind of turning more into a operation where I involve other people in. And I think there the biggest challenge then is, is to maintain the quality standard that I set out for myself. And it really helps that in this website, I put my name on it, I put my picture on it, so I kind of feel really tasked with maintaining the quality because this reflects on me. Mm -hmm. um, well, that, and I'm a big narcissist, so I kind of <laughs> like having my picture there. 
uh, the downside being actually, you know, if you do that, you any moment, the moment you get any kind of traction, there will be someone who will criticize you. And since your picture is on it, you will be criticized. The way you look will be criticized. The way you sit, the way you dress, the way everything. It's like right. I, have a, I have some. Very, yeah, it's like it's very extensive what people pay attention to. <laughs> um, but yeah, honestly, it was really one of the best decisions. I think if we're talking about authority websites, one of the best things you can do is really put your own personality name and face on it not just you know because it inspires trust with people and because it makes it look more believable but because it also will help you to uh, hold yourself to a standard because in the online world there's often the temptation to say you know look at blogs how they monetize content if they put in affiliate links or if they have sponsored posts and there's often the question how do you handle that how transparent are you which partners do you work together with and maybe you're in a position where financially it's tight and you have to make compromises and i think it really makes sense to put your name there to put your picture there even if that you know can be uncomfortable at first but it kind of forces you really to make more ethical choices with mm -hmm. those sites. And if you want to build authority, you definitely have to be ethical. You have to be you know, providing people good value. You have to be honest about it. You have to be transparent about it. And you have to really lecture people on podcasts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, I, for me, that really worked. So it was a big change from the past where I was more looking at things from a transactional perspective where I'm like, okay, let's write a guest post so we get a link. And now I think more about, okay, how can I build good relationships with people in that space as well? And how can I help people and just trust that it one day will come back? It's a really good point because <clears throat> becoming the go-to person or the person of your website or your brand, it really changes accountability too because you talked about ethics a bit. But the things you do and how you act, not only with ethics, but on what you say you're going to do and what you actually do, change when there are observers. And I think it's in quantum mechanics or quantum physics. They say that the same thing when there's observers, the results will always change. And, say, and that happens with people. And you all actually produce different content. You'll actually... Uh, have different podcasts where as if you're anonymous that might not be so so good point so my friend thailand and you just recently started a podcast about bangkok brewed in bangkok tell us about it so brewed in bangkok is a podcast that features the stories of the people you meet in bangkok that ranges from tsunami survivors to ceos of coffee franchises photojournalists getting death threats and authors writing about or publishing books about Thailand. I'm trying to really showcase kind of the stories you hear when you wander the streets or the bars of Bangkok because I always felt that Thailand gets stereotyped either as this, well, depraved country where all kind of morally loose behavior happens and either in a gleeful way or in a uh, shocked way, uh, or it's all about, you know, white beaches and drinking coconuts and all mm -hmm. that. And I felt that doesn't do the country justice and it doesn't do, it doesn't do justice to the people you meet here. Right. 
And Brood in Bangkok is really the stories of the people you meet. So I sit down with people who work as scientific advisors at hospitals here. I sit down with commentators on television who comment Muay Thai matches or who volunteer in refugee camps just to show that the cast of characters that make up your life while you're in Bangkok is a lot more diverse. And it's really one of the things that I still believe are unique about the city. I mean, all the coffee shops, all the, uh, you know, bars, the craft beer, the, the, the cocktails, the markets, all that. Honestly, you could find that in so many different places in the world. The food I eat here is not so much different from the food I would be eating in Germany or in Seattle nowadays. However, the stories you hear, they're definitely very unique. It's just what gives this city and the country a whole just a different vibe. And that's really what sets it apart, I believe. And what, the podcast shows that. What's been the, your favorite story that you've heard on in, or featured on the podcast? It's a difficult one because I feel what makes the stories interesting are the authenticity. So if someone really tells it how they experienced life. The, uh, one of the recent episodes is called From High School Dropout to Coffee Tsar. And it's an Australian guy that basically got kicked out of high school at age 50 and started working in a supermarket. And when I interviewed him, he was CEO of Global Franchise Architects, which runs 250 franchise outlets in <laughs> Thailand. And it's just such a leap. How do you go from high school dropout and supermarket employee to, well, running one of the most successful coffee shop chains in the country in another country? Mm. And um, that's just, I think it really, what really, what I really liked about this episode is that it shows how you know, maybe school or the academic environment does not always reveal the true potential people have. Mm. And only when you get into the right environment can you really, as a person, only when you get in the right environment can you really, as a person, well, flourish sounds a bit like, um, um, flourish sounds a bit like cheesy, but I feel like <laughs> only... <laughs> It is cheesy. I think it, it, it works. Sometimes you are in a sometimes you are in an environment that doesn't really let you show who you are. Mm -hmm. um, like in the case of that guy dropping out of high school, and once he finds his calling, which in his case um, is working with people, you're not just slightly better, but you're just like a magnitude better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important thing to realize because many people get a bad lesson somewhere in life where they feel like a failure. I had this other guy who was grew up in a very broken home, had a lot of drug problems, and just it's it's really sad to hear, you know, how many obstacles were thrown in his way. And you listen to him on the podcast and you can tell he's such a good storyteller. He's so eloquent and he's so great with, you know, telling this story in a funny and entertaining way and I feel like wow there could be so much more there could be so much more than what he has heard in all his life and I feel like just revealing the true potential of people um, 
is what really the favorite part of it. And I think those are two good examples. The um, the drug addict from a broken home who just goes on to become a productive member of society and the high school dropout who becomes the CEO. I like it. Karsten, we're going to have to wrap up there, my friend. If there's any listeners out there that want to get a hold of you or check out your website or podcast, do you want to let them know the best place they can do that at? Absolutely. So if you want to know about moving, living, working, starting a business in Thailand, go to thailandstarterkit.com. That's starter, like starting something. And um, if you want to listen to the podcast, you can go to broodinbangkok.com. Brood, like brewing the beer. And um, that pretty much sets you up for your new life. Um, All you then need is basically a beach and a laptop where you do the photo op. And after that, you go back (laughs) to the coffee shop and get the actual work done. (laughs) All right, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your your tips and your tricks about Bangkok and Thailand, the great country of Thailand. We're going to sign off from there. We'll see you later, Karsten. Until next time, goodbye, everybody. Awesome. It's been a pleasure. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world